Hey, Crosswalk. Welcome to church. And welcome to the Christmas list. That's the series that we're in right now. Now, uh, before we jump into that, I want you to know, especially if you're from the Redlands campus, that we will not be having our live services. We've canceled them until February. Now, we just believe that as COVID begins to surge through this holiday season, we want to keep everyone safe. Now, you may have come to one of our services and thought we're 12 feet away from each other. We're in these circles. We're out in a field. Of course, we're fine. And that's absolutely true. We don't have a question about that. But it is our volunteers and our workers who have to come in and work in spaces that are much more confined. I mean, we're still, you know, outside, but we're working on the stage, we're working on the lighting, we're working on sound, all those types of things. Our musicians, we want to make sure we're keeping everybody safe. So we're transitioning back to fully online for our Saturday services. So thanks for being here with us. Now, if you are in the Redlands area, beginning December 10, I believe it's, yeah, it's December 10, we're going to be starting our Thursday devotionals once again. And we're just going to start with our 7 a.m. one, so we can build it up as we need to. But it'll be December 10, 7 a.m. We'll start our devotionals, drive-in devotionals. You stay in your car. We come out and serve you coffee if you'd like it, individual serving. So we'd love to have you back there. But thank you for being an incredibly flexible congregation this year. It's really been, well, it's really been a year like no other. So we're talking about God's Christmas list for us. And sometimes you have to create a list for those in your family because they don't really know what they want. Now, I remember moving into my first apartment and I had a list of things that I wanted to get, a list of things that I wanted to purchase and put up in my, in my place. And it all kind of centered around technology and television. And I think at that time, maybe we had, C yeah, we had CDs at that time point, but I think we were still on VHS tapes. Like it was, you know... It was kind of, anyway, I wouldn't have been able to eat. Let me put it that way. I certainly couldn't have cleaned my room. I certainly couldn't have cleaned the bathroom. And so my mom, and I know that sounds bad, but my mom needed to make a list for me of what it was that I needed. Of course, I would have bought a television, but I wouldn't have had any food. So here's a question that maybe frames this conversation today a little bit. Is it greater love to give us what we need or what we desire? Now, I think we'll probably answer that pretty easily, right? We want what we want, but we also want a God who gives us what we need. Now, we'd love to have God give us what we want, but we also need to have a God who gives us what we need. Because there's a difference between getting what you need and getting what you desire. They're, they're not the same thing. I mean, sometimes they are, but by and large, they're not. And there's pros and cons to both. And of course, this list is not exhaustive, as you know, but getting what you desire often leads to more desire. I've got a really good example of this. Well, maybe you'll think it's a good example. You might not. But if you've ever drank Martinelli's, you know, that apple cider, they, it comes in different flavors now. But growing up, it was like Martinelli's was this apple cider, sparkling apple cider. And you drink it and you love it and you drink it and it would make you want to drink more. And I remember being at, it was an associate pastor's house back down in San Diego when I first started at church. My wife and I were there. His kids were there. We were having a great conversation. And I just kept drinking Martinelli's because it wasn't satiating my thirst. It was just, it was just making me more thirsty. And so I remember after I had probably drank 
two or three bottles of Martinelli's. Now, of course, there's no alcohol, so, you know, but it was obnoxious, I'm sure. And the truth is, I was just thirsty, and that was all they had to drink. Uh, the pastor's wife comes out, and she brings me this big glass of water, and she says, it seems like you need this. That was exactly what I needed. Because no matter what you desire, there is always more desire. You get the new phone, you want the next phone that's coming out. You get a new computer, you want the next computer. Maybe this is just me talking. You get a new car, you want the next. There's always more to desire, for sure. Getting what you desire often leads to more desire. But getting what you need has a way of satiating us. Right? And water, again, a good example of this. No one loves water. No one gets up in the morning and is like, I can't wait for the taste of water. Well, certainly not if you live in Southern California. Maybe some of you live in areas where that water does taste really good. But according to our need, it becomes more and more important and truly what we need. In fact, to satiate desire for like the Martinelli's, you got to have water. But getting what you desire is usually based on your perception, right? We see what we desire so clearly, but it's sometimes harder to see what we need. I mean, think of fast food, right? It's clear we don't need those fries. We desire those fries. But it's harder for us to understand the need when it comes to broccoli. I think we can all understand that. Getting what you desire is based on your perception, but getting what you need often means leaning on other wisdom at times. You don't want the broccoli, but you may need the broccoli. I mean, have you ever had a, a glass of fresh squeezed orange juice and your body, it, 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 like it breathes a sigh of relief because you needed that vitamin C, you needed that refreshment? And if you're really thirsty, water will be the same thing for you. So there's a difference between getting what we desire and getting what we need. But let's ask this question maybe, but what does God need for us this Christmas? And there's a phrase that he alludes to literally hundreds of times in Scripture. Now, it's a little bit, it's a little bit untrue what some people say. Some people say that Scripture says, do not be afraid in some form 365 times to cover 365 days of the year. I actually heard that. And as I was studying this, um, there, were, there, were, there were websites and blogs that were pro proponents of this idea. Actually, that's not true. It's more than that, right? Have no fear, fear not, etc. It's said to us so many times that perhaps we should start paying attention. God's wish for us this year is that we not be afraid. Now, remember, we talked about revelation and we talked about, we talked about reconciliation. We talked about provision. And now we're talking about fear. But God says, do not have fear. But it seems like there is a great deal to be afraid of, right? It's unusual that I'm not speaking to someone who has fears that have not bubbled up to the surf surface somewhere during 2020. That seems to be the majority of my conversations. But I think we need to remember that fear is a cancer. What I mean is fear takes something that is normal functioning and it begins to distort it. And then it essentially takes over everything, right? That becomes the filter in which you see everything. Nothing works right anymore when we have fear. And we will believe almost anything that will alleviate our fear. And oftentimes what we want to do, we'll believe crazy things because what we do is we just want to, we want to target 
of that fear, an object of that fear. We do things we might not do. And we say things that we might not say due to fear. And this is why God tells us not to live in it. Fear is a stench that we carry around. I, I got to tell you this story. When I was younger, my parents wanted me to take piano, which is appropriate and, and absolute, this good parenting, right? So they found this, this teacher that had been well-recommended, we'll say. And so my sister and I would go and go to this woman's house. We'd take a check-in, you know, like you do when, you know, before Venmo and, and all the different ways that we can pay people. And the, the problem with this house is that it was overwhelmingly uh, dirty. It smelled really bad. Lots of animals never got cleaned up afterwards. This lady was a bit of a hoarder. You know, we were in this one tiny room that had stacks of stuff everywhere. But my parents had never gone inside, so they didn't really believe us. Right? Fear is the stench that we carry around. Her house smelled horrible. She couldn't tell anymore. You see, she couldn't tell because she got so used to the stench. Man, when we walk around with fear for too long, we don't even recognize that we're fearful. And we're making decisions based on the fear that we have. We're making decisions based on the anxiety that is created from that fear. And because of that, we don't see the world through God's eyes anymore. We still may see it through our eyes, but not through God's eyes anymore. Many of us are in fear today. Of course, many of us are in fear today. But it's time to be challenged about this a little bit because this is not what God wants and it's not what he has given us. I mean, do you still believe that God is in control? Because listen, some of us have been fighting everything for a while. If it wasn't one thing, it was the other thing. And now we're living in fear. But is this what you believe God has given us? Because how can you say that God is in control and everything's out of control at the same time? What does that mean? You see, and I think what we're seeing is that fear begets anger. Fear creates in us an inability to alter our circumstances. At least we perceive this and then we get angry that we can't fix what's going on. Anger begets division, right? When we act out of fear, then anger it always creates division. We all have those people that we follow on social media that have become so toxic, we don't even want to follow them anymore. They're creating division with everything they say, or maybe you are. Listen, if you're somebody who posts a lot and you found out that nobody's listening to you anymore, you get one or two likes, you've become toxic. You're the problem. Because everybody walked away. Which, by the way, that division begets isolation, right? And this isolation is difficult. And I know what you're saying. Well, we're having to socially isolate right now, and that's not good. No, that's different. It's different to respond to a public health crisis than it is to be isolated because you have become so toxic because of your fear and your division. God says, fear not. What do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? Listen, I get it. Sometimes fear is a reasonable response to something overwhelming. And we'll see that in scripture in just a bit. But before we go on, I want to ask you this question. What do you have to fear? Now, you're going to say, oh, Pastor Tim, you're, you know, you're, you're this spiritual leader and all you want to do is talk about spiritual things and you're not seeing the reality of what we're living in right now. Yes, I am. Why is it that people can be faithful through the worst of times? It's because they believe that God will be faithful too. What do you have to fear? Our response can be, you know, to something overwhelming, sure. But sometimes we've got to walk in faith, right? You know, there was 
a story in Scripture of some people who were very afraid. And I'll just reference it really quickly. This is the kind of Christmassy part of this Christmasless story. So um, it comes in Luke two, chapter 2, verse 10. It says, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. By the way, he said this a lot, right? He says it to Mary. He says it to Joseph as he's bringing this news to Joseph, certainly, that didn't even feel like good news. It felt like it was a bad situation. This is particularly to the shepherds. And they're overwhelmed by these angels that are singing and the, and the sound probably that they had never heard before. They're overwhelmed. And the first words out of the angel's mouth is, don't be afraid. In fact, don't be afraid because the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, he says in verse 11, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Of course, this is the greatest news of all, but it doesn't really feel like it when you first come in contact with this information. But remember, we have to go beyond the information to the relationship to really understand what good news is. But before I get into all that, we've got to understand that the proclamation that we should not be afraid is not something new that we find at the beginning of the New Testament. Because it's been around for a long time. The Old Testament has scores of this saying and of this command. By the way, it's not just a saying. It is a command from God for us not to be afraid. However, just one from the Old Testament is enough to remind us. Read from Isaiah 35 verse 4. It says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. Now, in today's world, the problem is this. We're trying to define who our enemies are. But, but do we have faith that maybe God can define our enemies for us rather than having us define all our enemies for us? Maybe it was just easier in a different kind of culture to know who your enemies were because it was the village over there that was coming to attack your village. And maybe it doesn't feel like that, although we've fallen into tribalism right now. And friends, that's not a good place for us to be. However, remember, one's perceived enemies might become the greatest allies when other concerns are put into the equation. I'm thinking of countries that bitterly fought each other until there was a greater thing that they needed to focus on and they became allies and have created strength in, in those relationships for years afterwards. Whoever you think is your enemy right now may not be your enemy tomorrow, so give them a little grace. Whoever you think your enemy was yesterday may not be today, so give them a little grace. Listen, when we put something else into the equation of the hatred that we see between two people, that hatred can turn to something else. What else can we put in the equation? Of course, what we do is we put God into the equation, right? Then in Psalm 27.1, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Perhaps this, right? This is the equation. Perhaps a focus that will put our trust in God first and foremost. What if we said, God, rather than keeping me safe from those people, which is our desire, we allow God to be the one that defines our enemies and says, this is what you need. And you know what? Sometimes God actually says those enemies that you thought you had, those people that you've been fighting with all the time, you, those need to be your friends. 
because that's what's going to get you through the next section. Now, who knows? They may not want to be your friends because once we've defined our enemies, they feel like they stay enemies forever. But Christians, followers of Christ live beyond that. We transcend that whole idea of a binary, that, that it's me against you. And I got to tell you, in the modern Christian world, we've become very good at defining our enemies. And in fact, we spend a lot of time preaching about our enemies. For a lot of years, we would preach about Satan all the time and give him so much real estate. Now what we do is we give, we give the forces of quote-unquote evil, whatever those are, however we define those people or those worldviews or those ideas, we, spend, we give them all the time. What if we talked about Jesus more? What if we talked about the thing that tells us not to be afraid more than the thing that we're afraid of? See, that's how, that's how what you fear loses power when you decide to focus not on it, but on God. I mean, listen, often fear stops us from being able to recognize the blessing that is right in front of us. Now I'm going to jump into a story in the book, in the, in the book of Mark that, that, of course, you all know. I mean, we're using, you should know scripture, right? But, but we don't talk about this one as much. This is not the peace be still one. This one's a little bit different. So I'm reading from Mark 6, verse 45. It says, immediately after this, Jesus had been preaching. Jesus insisted that his disciples go back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. So he had been teaching for a while. He wanted the people to get home and they would not leave unless he sent them. That's the kind of teacher, the kind of preacher that he was. And these people didn't live by the side of the sea and they had to go home and they had to make their dinners. And very, so he's like, I got to send them home. So after telling everyone goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. So his disciples have gone. Jesus goes up into the hills to pray. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth was to replace prescription with principle. Therefore, the principle here is that Jesus needed some time with God. Now, that's not a prescription because if you might have a big event that happens in your life and you don't run to go have time with God. That's not necessarily the point. Always look for the principle not just the prescription as we look at the life of Jesus. Always look for the principle, not just the prescription. And this is important for our hermeneutic any time that we study scripture. Just because he ran to pray doesn't mean that we need to every single moment, but the principle is that being in contact with God, especially in a high stress or adrenaline kind of situations, is important and sought after. Back to the scripture, 647. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land, right? Now, now they were probably a mile or two out, they think. And then Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, says verse 48. They were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning is when this happened. So Jesus comes towards them, walking on the water. And then he intended to go past them. Now, intended to go past them? That's a, that's a fascinating phrase that I don't know that we've studied. I know we haven't here at Crosswalk. I think it's pretty fascinating. There's two things that are fascinating about that text right now. First of all, they were being harassed. That's the word, harassed by the sea, right? So the sea was antagonistic towards them. They had something to fear from it. But Jesus comes walking to them and he intended to go past them. Now, there's some interesting questions about what was going on here. One, he was just walking because that's what Jesus did. He was walking to meet them on the other side of the lake and he happened to want a shortcut using the lake. Well, that's one thing that could happen. Two, there's a bigger principle at play here. He was walking 
past them, but they needed to invite him into the boat. You see, God working does not preclude our interaction. This is a pretty solid lesson that we can learn from this. God is not a God who demands interaction, but he is willing when we ask, and he's available. He was right there. Of course, when they saw him, they were pretty concerned because they didn't know who he was, and they thought he might have been a ghost. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time you invited Jesus into your boat? And I get it. Maybe that's a little bit on the nose, and I like to come at things a little slant and a little different. But maybe let me just ask you that. When was the last time you invited Jesus into your boat? The boat that's being harassed, right? The boat that's right now being harassed by what, what is happening in the world, whether it's COVID, whether it's the political situation. This, this idea that we are being harassed by everything around us, Jesus is right outside your boat. When are you going to ask him in? You see, but when they saw him walking on the water, says verse 49, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost because they didn't expect him to be there. Right? They didn't expect Jesus to be there in the middle of the harassment. You think things are bad? I wonder if you think that Jesus is there. We get scared when things don't happen the way we are used to them happening. Right? I, I go to church. I go to church once a week, and, and that's where I get my Jesus, and the rest of the time I don't get my Jesus. Now I can't go to church. Maybe I don't have Jesus anymore. Maybe he's standing outside your door, and he's waiting for you to ask him in. Jesus was good at changing the narrative of what people could expect. Could it be what we first think is a horror show might be what is best for us? Now I don't know how 2020 is best for us. I think I'd probably push back on myself if I made that comment. But could it be that in the midst of this, Jesus is finding what we need and is willing to give it to us if we ask him in? You see, they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. And the first thing he says, what does he say? Don't be afraid. And then he says, listen, take courage. Don't be afraid. Even be bolstered in your courage because I'm here. And he has empathy, and this is important, right? He knows what you're going through. This is important for anyone of faith. He saw they were scared and helped them by reminding them they didn't need to be because he's here. And when Jesus is here, obviously, we don't have to fear. And I know that's bars like my 14-year-old would say. That whole idea behind the Christmas story and the incarnation is that we don't have to fear because Jesus has come to us. He is incarnated, love incarnate in the flesh. God in all his glory, majesty, wisdom, and hope exists in Jesus and is Jesus. So what happens? He climbs into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed, right? because they just couldn't understand, and maybe we can't understand, that what can actually calm and quell our hearts is a focus on Jesus and not on the harassing waves. He went the extra bit, right? He could have just stopped the wind and the waves and kept walking. He didn't. He decides to get in the boat. You see, they were totally amazed because they didn't, they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And maybe saying their hearts were too hard to take it in is saying that they were too boneheaded to take it in. They were too dense. They weren't willing to actually see what it is that God was doing. God was providing 
with the loaves and the fishes, and God is providing with them in the boat, stopping the harassment of the waves. And that's, you know, I love that text because there's a little narration there, right? Obviously, the narrator sort of steps in and goes from just telling the facts to saying, listen, this is the reason why they were terrified, because they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. So I'm going to ask the question. When was the last time you saw Jesus walking by? Right? Whether it's your house, whether it's your job, whether it's your heart, it's your hands. Because if you don't see him around you, it's harder to ask him into the boat. If all you're going to do is focus on the harassing waves, you're never going to see Jesus. If all you're going to do is focusing on the threat that's right in front of you, you're never going to see the solution that's right behind that. The solution that transcends all of that. I get that you're scared. I get scared too. I get that you're anxious and this has been a hard year. I've gone through the same things. I get that you're worried for your kids because I look at mine and I'm scared for them. I get that you miss your old life and your friends. I get that because I live with it too. But today I got to choose whether or not I'm going to be afraid or whether or not I'm going to focus on the words of God that say exactly the opposite. Do not be afraid. That is his Christmas wish for us this year. And maybe this one's the big one for us this year. I don't know. All said and done. Whether it's the toughest year we've ever lived through or an easy year, these words have always rung true because we're all being harassed by waves in one way or another, no matter what's going on. And it's easy to focus on the terrible this year But every year, every day, every moment, maybe we need to be focusing on the one who stops those waves, who stops the harassing, the one who protects us from our enemies and actually knows who our enemies are. Maybe this is why in scripture, hundreds of times we are told, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be anxious for anything. And it's almost always surrounded by this idea that God is here. So at the risk of being too on the nose, when was the last time you invited him into your boat? Let's bow our heads. God of mercy, God of grace, God of power and God of wisdom, give us what we need. And if all we need is your presence, then give us that. Give us that in abundance. Grow us in that. May we understand that. Lord, as we take some time off from meeting together again, we're going to ask for the safety of of everyone, Lord. We have some fears that this disease is continuing to grow. Our hospital beds are filling up. Lord, be with our frontline workers. Be with those who have to care and put themselves in harm's way every single day. Lord, be with us as a nation as we continue to try and heal. Lord, make that the desire of our hearts so that we're not so afraid of one another anymore.
And Lord, as we kind of lean into this Christmas season, may we find abundant joy in your presence, even if we can't be in the presence of everyone that we love this year. May you be enough. Pray these things in your holy name, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen.